0: But here we have Jonah obeying the Lord. He's going to Nineveh. He's going to go into the center of the city, one day journey, and he begins preaching the message of impending judgment. And right, So this is obedience. Jonah did obey. Right, the prophet is obeying what he's told. But we also, because if you've read chapter four, you also know how the story ends, which is why I think it's, there's no problem calling his obedience reluctant because he's not excited about this mission. Because, because if, if, if he knew that this was only a message of judgment that did not lead to God's mercy, I think he would be excited and heartfully obeying, but he knows what God is like and he knows how this is gonna end. And so he obeys preaching this message, but but he knows that through this message, what God is gonna do, or or he presumes to know what God's gonna do among the Ninevites, and so he's not happy about it. He's not obeying with what we would call a happy heart. Right, Boys and girls, there's a difference between obeying your parents and obeying your parents with a happy heart, isn't there? Right? Jonah is not joyfully obeying. Right? He is reluctantly or joylessly obeying. Right? Boys and girls, if, if your obedience is accompanied by, fine, I'll do it, right? that's not happy heart obedience. It's reluctant obedience. And I think that's what Jonah's doing here. Right? So, so I don't think in chapter three, we see this totally transformed Jonah. I think his change of heart was at best, as one commentator explains, at best, partial. And we learn that because of what happens in chapter four. At present, we can assume only that he recognized the futility of further disobedience to his God and would attempt no further rebellion. All right, so so where's he gonna, what is he, of course he's gonna obey. He's called by a fish last time. What's gonna happen next time? Of course I'm gonna obey. So he goes. Jonah obeys and Preaches this message of judgment to Nineveh, and we'll have to wait to, till next week to deal with Jonah, right? Because in chapter five of verse three, the the focus switches totally from Jonah onto the Ninevites, and we won't get back to Jonah until chapter four. So, look, second point there, verses five through nine. Nineveh's surprising response. Nineveh's res- surprising response. There, in, in verse five. Now, I I, I, ne- I never want to be guilty of exaggerating. Uh, from the pulpit and I want to be careful here, but I mean, what what I see in verse five of Jonah chapter three is one of, if not the most amazing verses in the entire Bible, right? So verse five, let's do this. I have never done this before, but let's read this aloud together. Verse five, Jonah chapter three, verse five, and the people of Nineveh, believed God. I mean, is that amazing? Is that unbelievable? The, the people of Nineveh believed God. Like, can you believe that the people believed? Yeah, I mean, that, Nineveh, this great evil city, here's a message of judgment one day in and they believe God, right? What a contrast to the prophet. I mean, this word here, they believe God. It's the same word that used of, of Abraham in Genesis 15, when it says that Abraham believed the Lord and the Lord counted it to him as righteousness, right? It's that type of belief, that type of faith that is accredited to the Ninevites here. It's the same word that is used of Israel after they led by Moses through the Red Sea in Exodus 14, when it says that, the Lord, that Israel saw the great power of the Lord that was used against the Egyptians and the people feared the Lord and they believed in the Lord, Right, so, the, so this word that's used of the Ninevites is no, no throwaway word. In light of where we've come in the book of Jonah, for Jonah to make it one day into the city and to stop and proclaim the message of judgment, only to have this city hear and believe. That is unbelievable almost. And as, as is always the case, right? The, the, the belief or the faith of the Ninevites, it, it shows itself in action. Look how verse five continues. So you believe God, but that's not it. They called for a fast and they put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. And so the Ninevites, they hear this message of judgment. They know this judgment is only 40 days away, right? There's a time frame on here. And though Jonah 3 doesn't record anything that Jonah says about repentance, it can be safely assumed that even though that's not mentioned, the idea of repentance was included in this message. And when, when the prophet declares that judgment was coming because of evil, It was to be understood that the judgment would take place if repentance did not. And so he doesn't just send the prophet so that they'll know, hey, you're gonna be judged, right? If if all he cared about was judging them, he wouldn't have to send a prophet to send word ahead of time. He would not just destroy them. But he sends a message of judgment because there is the implicit possibility of turning from their evil. So the Ninevites, they hear this message and they declare a fast. And they, they clothe themselves with sackcloth which would have been just this public display of, of mourning or sadness. So, so sometimes at funerals, people wear all black. It's a public sign that, that I'm mourning the loss of someone. Right? So they're clothed with sackcloth. And Jonah 3.5 says that this was done from the greatest of them to the least of them. And so this is a complete, all-embracing, comprehensive response. Right? And it's a response of repentance. I mean, look at how verse six continues. So that the word reached the king of Nineveh and he arose from his throne. He removed his robe. He covered himself. So he joins in sackcloth and ashes. In verse seven, he issued this proclamation. And this is what he tells the entire city by the decree of the king. Let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth. Let them call out mightily to God. And so as we read this response, what's amazing is that the Ninevites didn't hesitate to respond, right? Imagine if they'd have heard this message and said, okay, thanks, Jonah. Come back in 39 days. They don't say that. The, the, the time is not an issue to them. The judgment that is coming is the issue and they respond immediately. They, they don't say, hey, yeah, this guy's crazy. He's never been in our city before. What, what is he talking about? No, just ignore him. No, they respond immediately. They don't wait to see if things start to get bad at day 40. Instead, instantly, they hear and they believe. The the, the message, the word of God comes upon them in power. And Jonah only goes one day and there's nothing said about his day two or day three because he didn't have to do anything else. He went in one day and it spread like wildfire so that the king... Reaches it, so, so you imagine this. This, this word goes, in and the people, the population, start repenting. Then the word reaches the king, and, and he gets up, and he takes off his robe, and he joins in. And we can't help but notice the contrast between this pagan king and the prophet Jonah. Right? There's no delay. There's no doubt. There's no grudge against God. The word reaches the king, and just like everyone else in Nineveh, he responds. And in the matter of one verse, this king goes from supreme authority to utter humility. There's no pride in the king of Nineveh in this situation. Unlike Pharaoh, if you're reading through the Bible with us, just the stubborn, hard-hearted pride of Pharaoh. It's unbelievable through these plagues, if you've read with us through Exodus. Pharaoh is so proud. He's like, okay, you can go. no, nope, no, nope, no, nope, no, nope, no, nope, nope. Everything's fine, they can't go. And there's just a proud Pharaoh. That's not the case with the king of Nineveh here. Just like the population as a whole, the king believed God and responded. And so he says, "Don't do something and do do something." He says, "Don't eat or drink." I mean, these these poor animals, right? This is a comprehensive fasting. The animals can't even eat. Some of you kids are like, "That'd be great. I didn't have to do chores that day. I didn't have to feed the animals." No, but but the point is that that all of creation, right, is 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 part of this. And so the king says, everything in Nineveh, the people and all of the animals, no eating, no drinking, it's a total fast. And this fast is in response to this message of judgment. This fast is the fruit of their faith. And so they don't eat or drink negatively, but, but notice what they're to do positive, positively. But to let man and beast be covered with sackcloth, and so, so join in this, this public display, but then more importantly, let them call out mightily to God. Right? They're to put on their robes of mourning, but then they're to cry out to God. And, and we're reminded of the sailors in the boat who cried out to God when they feared him. This entire city is displaying the marks of the covenant people. Right? The covenant people, Nineveh is, is crying out to God in this sense, or in this sense, in this scene, they're acting more like God's people than the Israelites often do because they know they're sin and guilt and they're crying out. The king to the, to the, the, the poorest peasant is joining in this. But then notice what else in verse eight. And this is important. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. This is a clear recognition of their guilt, isn't it? Remember that their evil had come up before the Lord. That was the whole premise of this judgment. They were an evil people which means they performed many evil acts. The Assyrians were a ruthless people when it came to warfare. And this city is part of that empire. And so the king, along with the entire city, intends to turn from their evil way. This is repentance. In fact, this is one of the best pictures of repentance in the entire Bible. Certainly when it comes to a corporate, a group of people, they hear God's word, they recognize their sin, and they turn radically. And right, so that's why the king wants to, wants to ensure that this is carried out. Because the, the outward signs of repentance, like fasting or, or put it on the sackcloth, right? These signs are useless if it's not accompanied by a change of life. If they don't turn from their evil, they, they haven't done away with God's judgment. And so they, they carry out, they endeavor to repent. And look at verse, verse nine. After issuing, issuing this decree, the king asked, verse nine, who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. I and mean, do, do you hear the heart of this king in this city? There's no guarantee, right? They don't say, well, well, we don't know if he, he might not even relent. So let's just, let's eat, drink and be merry. Who knows? This is our only hope. We have to turn, we have to cry out to him and he may turn. But even in this cry, the king of Nineveh and the city of Nineveh recognizes that the Lord doesn't owe them anything. He's not required to turn from his anger. The Lord is Lord. And the Lord can do whatever the Lord wants. And the king and his, all his people honestly don't know if the Lord will relent. And yet, and yet, they still commit to turning and repenting. Which is amazing. And another point not to miss Is that the answer to that question, right? Who knows? And that's the question they ask. Now while that that answer may not be known by the Ninevites, certainly it was known by the Hebrew prophet who had just gotten to town, right? Here's Jonah, seeing these people respond wholeheartedly to the message from the Lord. And he sees them wondering whether or not there's mercy with the God of Israel. And what does Jonah do? He says nothing. Jonah knows. He can say, God is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding, and set love. I know that about him. I've received that. My people have, have been entirely dependent on that. There is hope for you, Nineveh. But instead, he is silent about the mercy of God. He knows the answer. In fact, in chapter four, we know that Jonah knows the answer because Jonah's gonna say that knowing the answer is what led him to refusing to go to Nineveh in the first place. And so I have to come to, know, to Jonah more next chapter. I'll say more about that in just, just a minute. But, but let's quickly cover that last point. The final point, the last verse of chapter three, verse 10, we see God mercifully relents. Verse 10, when God saw what they did, how they turned from the evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them and he did not do it. And so this, this record, this, this verse 10 records God's response to the repentance of the Ninevites. And we see that God, upon seeing the repentance of this entire city, he does in fact do what the Ninevites had hoped. He relents of the disaster that he said he would do and he didn't do it. They were safe. They weren't judged. Now, they would be uh, back to their evil ways in a few generations. But here, this generation, they get it and, and they plead to, to the Lord for mercy and he does not judge them. And so there is a relationship between God's relenting and the Ninevites repenting, right? They repent and the Lord relents, right? But, but as we look at this basic equation, right, there, there's something else going on here because this repentance is what the entire book has been moving towards. So, so it's not as simple as that God, they act and God responds because the entire process, the entire book has been about the Lord sovereignly acting and appointing and pursuing and commanding and all of it has been aimed at the, this interaction of this city repenting and him being merciful. It's all been moving towards that. That's what God is doing in the book of Jonah, which is why when we look at God's relenting, we can't miss the fact that he is the one who's been sovereignly appointing everything that's happened thus far. Thus, it can't be said that God relented because he didn't know what the Ninevites were gonna do. Yes, he relented because they repented, but of course the Lord knew that they were gonna repent because he's the one who ordained the means and the message by which they would repent. He is sovereign over this whole thing. You see, his relenting of the disaster that he said he would do to them is not a sign of God's ignorance, but a sign of his sovereignty. He can do what he pleases. In fact, this is the point the Lord makes to, to the prophet Jeremiah in Jeremiah chapter 18. When, you remember when Jeremiah goes to the, the potter's house? The Lord wants to teach Jeremiah a lesson. And, and so Jeremiah goes to the potter's house and the word of the Lord came to me. This is Jeremiah 18. And this is what the Lord says to Jeremiah, O house of Israel, can I not do with you as this potter has done, declares the Lord. Behold, like the clay in the potter's hand, so are you in my hand, O house of Israel. And listen to this. See, see if this resonates with anything that's happened in, in Jonah. If at any time I declare concerning a nation or a kingdom that I will pluck up and break down and destroy it, and if that nation concerning which I have spoken turns from its evil, I will relent of the disaster that I intended to do to it. Right? It is there, in Jer- Jeremiah is told, this is what the Lord does. This is part of who he is. God is free to relent and God is free not to relent. He's the potter. Has he no right over the clay? Of course he has rights over the clay. That's the point. Underneath it all, the banner flying over Jonah three is the mercy of God. That's, that's the main point of chapter three. We see his mercy on display in dealing with the Ninevites. And so as chapter three, the curtain closes on chapter three, next week, the shift is away from Nineveh to Jonah. And so as we leave chapter three, I just have two questions that I wanna ask us as we we finish, And both of these are concerned with the mercy of God. So just two questions. First question, I'm gonna ask them in the first person, do I know the mercy of God? That's the first question to consider. Do you know God's mercy? There's a a transactional nature to what takes place in Jonah 3. Yes, the Ninevites receive God's mercy, but they do so because they repent. They acknowledge the right of God to judge them. They they recognize their evil and they turn from their evil. And in so doing, they cast themselves upon God's mercy, at which point God shows mercy. However, there are many instances where it is not God's mercy, but God's judgment that falls on those who need mercy. And in those cases, it's not those who repent who receive judgment, but those who refuse to repent. Case in point would be the Pharaoh and the Egyptians. So so, so God's mercy comes to those who acknowledge that they need God's mercy. Which is why as we think about this chapter, how to apply it, the most pressing need for some of you is to repent, to turn from your evil ways, to follow the example of the Ninevites, not, not in putting on sackcloth and ashes, but in casting yourself wholly, completely, totally on the mercy of God. The good news for you here today, for some of you, is that God has promised his mercy in the life and death of his son, Jesus Christ. There's, God can be merciful to Nineveh because of Jesus. He doesn't just say, hey, they deserve judgment, I'm just gonna pass over it and not deal with it. No, he deals with it, but he doesn't deal with it then, he deals with it on the cross. And so the good news for you who needs God's mercy, God has extended his mercy in the person and work of his son. Whoever believes in him will not perish, but will be given eternal life. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. God has made promises to you concerning his son. He has put his mercy on display. You don't have to wonder whether or not God will be merciful. You don't have to ask that question and say, who knows? The answer is, God is merciful. Look to Jesus Christ, crucified, buried, resurrected. You don't have to wonder. He sent his son so that he could show you mercy. And so my call to you, if you're here this morning, cast yourself on the mercy of God because there you'll find plenteous mercy. Join the side of the road with blind Bartimaeus who upon hearing that Jesus is walking by says, son of David, have mercy on me. And the Lord responds. And so, if you're here, I, I, I want you to know that, that you, God commands you to repent. And if you don't repent, you will not find mercy. I'd love to talk with you about this afterwards and, and tell you the good news of the gospel. There are people, if you came with someone, if someone invited you, they would love to point you to the hope that comes through Jesus Christ. But that's not the only question I think we should be asking from this chapter. chapter. There's one more question, and that's this Am I a silent recipient of mercy? Am I a silent recipient of mercy? Jonah was a silent recipient of mercy. God had been merciful to him over and over and over. And yet when someone else needed mercy, Jonah was silent. And so I want us to ask ourselves, I want you to ask yourself, am I a silent recipient of mercy? And and there are two reasons, as I thought about this, that we're typically silent recipients of mercy. And the first reason is the reason I think Jonah was silent. And that's because we don't want others to receive God's mercy. Right? Sometimes we're silent because we don't want our enemies to receive God's mercy. Right? Jonah probably viewed Nineveh as enemies who were not worthy of God's mercy. He didn't want them to receive God's mercy. I think that's Jonah's situation as we'll see next week. And of course, the remedy to this silence is to remember your own need for mercy. Right? That is Jonah's problem. He needs the Lord to be gracious and merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, just as much as the Ninevites. Jonah just doesn't know that he needs God's mercy as much as them. Right? It's easy to miss that. Jonah, the sailors, the Ninevites, they are all in desperate need of God's mercy. But only the sailors and the Ninevites seem to know that. This is why last week, as as I began to describe Jonah, I used the term of a Pharisee. Jonah is a a pre Pharisaical Pharisee, he's a proto Pharisee. And I I refer to him that way because Jonah's blind to his own need. He doesn't own up to his sin, he doesn't repent. And I think sometimes, if we're silent recipients of mercy, it could be because we're not aware of our own need. That's one reason we're silent. And the remedy is to to know the extent to which you've been forgiven and the mercy that you've been extended. But the other reason, and this isn't Jonah's reason, but as I thought about it, I think this is, more times than not, this is my reason for being a silent recipient of mercy. And that's because we don't believe that anyone else is actually interested in whether or not God is merciful. Or maybe it's just me, but sometimes I look at neighbors, friends, even family members, and I think, they don't really care whether or not God is merciful. I mean, if I were to try and share the good news of the gospel with them, they, they definitely wouldn't be interested, right? Is that, is that you, right? Sometimes that, that, that's the case with me, but here in, in chapter three of Jonah, that excuse falls flat on his face. Do you know why? Because the entire city that ended up believing God and repenting, they were not interested in this message from the Hebrew prophet, they weren't expecting Jonah to come. They didn't send for him. Now, there's no reason that they, had, that they had been given dreams or visions saying, hey, a man from, from Israel is coming and the Lord, the one true God, sending him to visit, so listen to him. There's nothing that pre- prepared this entire city for Jonah in the message. There, there's nothing about them that would lead Jonah or anyone else to conclude that they were interested in what God had to say. Imagine, I, I love to see the, the scene of when Jonah gets to the point in the middle of the city, and he says, okay, here we go. I would love to see what that was like. They weren't interested yet. There's a reluctant prophet preaching his message and there were the Ninevites convicted and responding, believing God and repenting. I think there's encouragement for us there. I think there's hope for those of us who are silent recipients of mercy, for those of us who don't think that our neighbors or coworkers or friends or family members would actually care about the message that we have to share. And that encouragement for us is that the people of Nineveh believed God. That's it. That's our hope. That's our encouragement. Jonah wasn't proclaiming his message. He wasn't preaching the, the good news according to the son of Amnitai, Jonah, though reluctant, though not at all interested in the outcome of his preaching, he proclaimed the word of the Lord and the Ninevites believed God. And it is God whom they heard from and with whom they dealt. And so Jonah, in this sense, Jonah wasn't a silent recipient of mercy, but he was a reluctant and he was reluctant. And despite that, the Lord still used his message to transform an entire city of people. And that's a solution to a silence that's driven by a refusal to believe that anyone else would actually care. The remedy is the reality that it doesn't matter if anyone's interested or not. What matters is that God is merciful. And it matters that in his mercy, God has made a way to peace with him. And that peace comes through a message, through a message that is good news, whether people are interested in it or not. And so we can learn from Jonah here. Let me pray as we as we close.